The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's uh, nine minutes after eight on the eve of uh, the South African 2016 local government election poll. And of course, uh, yesterday uh, kicked off already with special votes. There'll be more special votes cast today. And then tomorrow, the masses will be going to the polls uh, to cast a vote for whomever they think will do the best job to lead not only um, their little constituency as in their ward, but of course also the province and um, the party that they will entrust with their vote to make South Africa better in the long run for all of us. So, have you decided? Yesterday, there were still many undecided voters. And, of course, uh, today I see some of you uh, saying that you've made up your mind, but I do respect the fact that you're not telling me who you will be voting for. And I was just thinking, I wouldn't tell anybody who I'm voting for. Uh, um, And uh, it's interesting because I think it speaks directly to our discussion this morning where we talk about polls and surveys. Have you been surveyed? Um, And uh, what sort of experience was it for you? I'd love to hear from you about that as well because for some reason they always miss me. I don't know why. Um, I belatedly received uh, one of those SMSs even uh, canvassing my vote people have been receiving these things for years I got my first one this year from the Democratic Alliance so I don't know who gets polled, how these surveys happen, uh, you know what sort of samples and how the sampling is actually uh, decided upon we don't know or let me speak for myself I don't know. I'm sure our guest this morning will be able to shed more light on these things and also to talk us through uh, some of the um, more pertinent issues when it comes to looking at surveys. And uh, just as an example, a new research released by Citizen Surveys has revealed that the African National Congress, the ANC, is on track to continue its electoral dominance, um, although uh, to a possibility of a diminished degree there. But then, you you look at others and you look at um, the Ipsos uh, poll, for example, that shows that the DA is winning in three major metros, Joburg, Tswane and Nelson Mandela Bay. So how then, you know, everybody is polling, who are they polling and um, arriving at these very different results. But I think what's also very interesting at this point is the number of undecided voters uh, who have been polled and how that will actually play out in the final result. So joining us for the conversation this morning, uh, here in studio with me, uh, SABC specialist researcher, uh, Ronesh Dauraj. Thanks for coming through. Hi, good morning, Sakina. Great to be here. Nice having you, Ronesh. And uh, on the line to us is Ibrahim Fakir, a manager of governance institutions and processes at the Electoral Institute for the Sustainability of Democracy in Africa, ASA. Thanks for your time, Ibrahim. Hi, good morning, Sakina, and morning to listeners. And we also have with us Dr. Ivor uh, Sarakinsky from the Witt School of Governance. Um, uh, doctor, thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. Pleasure, Now, gentlemen, in the lead up to uh, these elections, we saw a number of service delivery protests. And I want us to touch on that first. And um, uh, just looking at how this will possibly um, affect uh, voters and how they will vote uh, based on this. Is there much that we can read into that, Ibrahim? 
I, look, it's impossible uh, to, to read too much into things. Um, just, a, just, just a small corrective. I would, I would think that some of the protests leading up to the elections were indeed probably about service delivery. But I think the larger proportion of them were in fact about internal party in, internal party fights. So, so th- you know, there was it's just either issue of an internal party faction or a person wanting to be um, the candidate high up enough on the PR list or to be the chosen ward candidate. And unfortunately, in some of those instances, it wasn't just a protest, uh, and people actually died. So, so in some cases, councillors died. In Tswane, uh, five people we know were dead. Uh, five days of productivity lost, public property and private property um, <clears throat> destroyed. So, of course, it has an impact on the polls. It has an impact on the context and the environment of the conduct of the poll, the freeness and the fairness of it. But it also has an impact on turnout. It has an impact on turnout in two ways, because obviously many of the protests we know signal a decline in public trust in either the elected representatives or in public institutions. And even if it's an internal party fight, uh, in most cases we know these happen to have been within the ANC, and if it happens to be within the ANC, then those people or a faction of them decide, well, we're not going to turn out. In places like Etiquini, in, 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 in the Durban metro, it has an even more severe consequence for that party because it means if it happened before the cut-off date of the elections, some of those disgruntled stand as independent candidates, which means obviously the party loses out those votes. And um, Ronesh, what's your take on that? Um, Sakina, uh, you would recall that we at Research, we've been tracking these protests, these service delivery local government-related protests since 2004. To date, we've tracked, I think, it's around 1,800, and this year alone we've had 200 protests from uh, January uh, to, uh, to the 1st of August. So I think, yeah, the protests will have an effect on the elections, but not on a massive scale. I think people will will want to voice their dis, uh, dissatisfaction when they, uh, you know, actually go out tomorrow, you know, into those voting booths and, you know, when before they can actually make that decision. Uh, some of them will actually abstain. You know, that's their form of protest, like we'll probably see in Vuwani and places like Malamulele and, you know, a couple of other hotspots. Uh, you would recall in 2014 we had the very infamous quotes by the uh, current Water and Sanitation Minister Namvulo Mokanyane, who says, uh, who, who, who uh, you know, said to the Bekazal residents, "We don't want your dirty votes." And obviously, there was a huge backlash from that. So, yeah, people will, you know, choose not to go to the elections, not to make their mark. I think that's, you know, their democratic right as well, you know, to vote or not to vote for that party whom they think can make their lives better at the end of the day. Uh, Dr. Ivor, if I can come to you, um, you know, we are hearing a lot of talk for these uh, elections uh, that the smaller parties will possibly vanish and that um, we are likely uh, to see some of the newcomers in the EFF in particular making inroads on uh, the two bigger parties. How have you read that situation? Well, I don't think the smaller parties are going to vanish. Uh, they they may remain constant or drop some support. And the reason for that is that they are reaching a constituency that wants to be represented in public institutions. And I think that that's a very good thing. Uh, 
just because they're small doesn't mean that that viewpoint and policy need is isn't important. So for multipartyism, I think that it's 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 fundamentally important that we have as diverse a representation in public institutions as as possible. In terms of the EFF, are they going to grow? I listened to the the SG of the EFF on TV last night claiming significant growth. He would say that. I I think that the issue may well be uh, one of traction in terms of the spectacles in Parliament. Are people going to see that as a viable politics? And and if not, it might mean that they either don't support the EFF by not voting at all, or voting for, for other parties who they think are behaving in a more appropriate way in public institutions. So, so while those spectacles might be entertaining, I think that they may well be counterproductive in turn in our society where we, where we still have some respect for the decorum in public institutions. And they may have, they may have shot themselves in, in one of their feet uh, in terms of those spectacles. So I'm a bit cautious in terms of how much uh, traction the EFF is going to get. The other dimension to that is we're starting to see information coming through about uh, youth disenchantment with electoral processes in general. And if the target audience of the EFF is the youth, that might also impact on their support uh, tomorrow. And I'd love to hear Ibrahim and Ronesh on that one. But before I go to them, um, just staying with uh, the issue of uh, smaller parties in a um, multi-party democracy, um, looking at uh, some of the stats here at the IEC, looking at the longest and shortest ballot papers, um, if you look at uh, the Buffalo City um, municipality there, uh, that metro, you have 12 parties contesting uh, a city like Cape Town, 36 parties on the ballot paper and um, do you think that uh, you know the voters um, may just become confused about all of these parties and uh, because how many of them would have really had opportunity to get their message across to the voters? So, Kina, I think it's very important to stress that. Remember, local government elections are extremely difficult from national and provincial elections. National provincial elections, yes, the seats are counted in a very different way. We've, ha- we've got 400 uh, members of the National Assembly, then different seat numbers for the different provincial legislatures. But remember, at local government elections, it is about making that connection at ward level with that community. I'll give you this very good example that I always cite uh, you know, uh, during interviews and during election training. We've got this wonderful small party called the Kiruchamienska Party. No one's heard of it. The party garnered just 5,000 votes in 2011, took on the ANC, took on the DA. The DA, uh, DA got two seats, ANC got two seats, Kiruchamienska Party, 5,000 votes, three seats, got control of the Prince Albert local municipality. The ANC saw a partner in them, formed a coalition to get control of the district council back in 2011. Another very good example is the Independent Civics Association of South Africa. They also won a single council uh, back in uh, 2011. I think it was Beaufort West. And then the other one is the Bushback Ridge Residents Association. Mm. This group was uh, uh, a couple of ANC disgruntled former members. They said, no, let's stand together. Let's get together, stand as independents. Eventually, they, they stood together, formed this group, Bushback 
Ridge Residents Association. I think at that time they won 11 seats. I think at the moment they're sitting on seven seats from the last election. But remember, local elections, smaller parties tend to benefit more than the bigger parties when the IEC allocates those seats because at the end of the day, the IEC takes the ward uh, votes and the PR votes, they add it together and use some kind of very obscure formula to actually determine those seats. And, and when those small parties are given those seats, they actually have the power in very small councils to be the kingmaker. So the horse trading will start like we saw in a couple of councils in the Western Cape. Uh, the PAC got their first mayor. In the Northern Cape, there were two councils where COPE teamed up with the DA. Uh, you know, COPE had one mayor, deputy speaker, uh, uh, even a speaker's position. So that political horse trading, smaller parties will tend to benefit more. Ibrahim, um, what's your take on that? Because one of the things that struck me um, just from a campaigning uh, perspective was that I saw more of uh, the national leadership of the parties and I didn't see much of the actual ward candidates who were contesting and that I'm supposed to vote for tomorrow. Well, I think, look, in large measure, I agree with both um, Ivor and Ranesh the, about the importance of the smaller parties. The reality, in my view, is that many of them would really be unable to get their message across simply because of the time, the resources required. Many of them are organizationally um, more weak than, than the bigger parties, obviously. Uh, not properly institutionalized. That said, should they have an issue like the Bushbuck Great Residents Association <clears throat> or the African Independence Congress, uh, which is now even represented in Parliament, instead of just a local council or, or a provincial legislature, then you can really make a go of it because you have an organizing principle around which you, which, which you organize. You form certain structures because you've got a strong organizing principle and you've got people who are attracted to that message. That's easier to do at local government level, granted, and which is why there's the success of some of the parties that Ronesh uh, pointed out to, but also the success of independent candidates because they can really make that outreach. But if you take the city of Cape Town, for example, and you're saying 36 parties on the ballot papers in specific municipalities, uh, sometimes in wards you will have so many independent candidates um, that the list will be even longer. And I'm not sure voters get confused, but I think they don't, those, those independent candidates and very small micro parties, should they not have a big organizing principle, should they not have an issue, find it much harder to gain traction. So just in a campaigning sense and in an electoral competition sense, that matters. But I think it matters more when it comes to governance. Now, in small councils, mm. there's clear evidence that, look, they can play a role, particularly where, you know, the margin of majority of a governing party may be one seat or two seats in a smaller council. You need the vote in council of that smaller guy, either smaller party or, or independent candidate. But when the real decision-making happens across different committees, whether it's infrastructure, local economic development, IDPs, whatever the case might be, your ability, as it is the case with smaller parties in Parliament, your ability to spread yourself across some of the portfolios becomes more difficult. Uh, so your ability to make input, to exercise significant oversight becomes a bit weakened. That doesn't mean you don't remain influential. Of course you do in council. You may be influential in the way in which you can sway decisions amongst the two bigger or three bigger parties in that council, depending on the spread of the seats. 
So you remain influential, but your, your, your governance impact is not that high. Now, that's not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that we should go for a two or three party, a big system sort of type two or three party mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but I am suggesting that we should be cautious about how we interpret the impact and the effect uh, of the smaller person. Of course, it matters at local government level. It's nice to have the diversity. But I think our real challenges are now being faced in an oversight and a governance sense, in the way in which you can actually keep the bigger guys to account. Mm. And that has uh, been partly my concern around uh, the independents, the smaller guys, because can they really hold out um, and deliver on the promise that they make to me as the voter? Or is it just a matter of time before they get swallowed up by some bigger party, as Ibrahim was just talking us through there, uh, Dr. Sarakinsky? Because I'm just worried that I may be wasting my vote almost by voting for someone who is a lone ranger, as it were. Well, they're not really lone rangers because each ward has to develop a development plan. So the the elected representative will be responsible for the development issues in that ward. That then goes into the the integrated development plan process at municipal level, and those issues will become part of the municipal developmental plan. And budgets will, be have to, will have to be allocated for that. And those are statutory processes. Those aren't discretionary processes. So an independent who, who drives a, a, an effective consultation process and identifies issues for development in the ward, whether it's streetlights or tarring roads or whatever, could actually make quite a huge difference at local level, much harder at um, national level for smaller parties to have that impact. But at local level, because of the Municipal Systems Act and other legislation, the ward committees have enormous power. And part of the problem with local government over the last 20-odd years is that they haven't used those powers. And this is the kind of thing that wards can use. This is their power base, is exactly those statutory frameworks. And then, um, of course, also uh, just uh, staying with that, uh, just for the time being, the issue of the independent candidates. And you touched on this earlier, Ibrahim, when you spoke about um, internal disgruntlement in certain parties. And now suddenly you find people who didn't make it onto the party's PR list or, you know, just didn't crack the nod to be the ward councillor. And suddenly they now independent candidates. But how do you trust that? Because who's to say what's going to happen after the election? But I think that's where the where, that's where the horse trading and the influence being exercised comes in. Uh, depending on the nature of the disagreement, depending on how uh, angry they are with the parent party or the party that they left uh, or pushed out of, in some cases, uh, depends on 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 how they'll deal with that party when they're in council, particularly when it comes to the distribution of resources. So, so they do become influential should they become elected. I agree. Um, and they're able to sort of affect the way in which resources are distributed. That's their that's their that's their big uh, their big their big their big selling point. And and in, of course not just the way in which resources are distributed, but the way in, in, in who gets which position. Because in slim majority councils, where you're going to elect people into you know certain positions. Uh, on the council or on the mayoral committee or the exco, depending on what, what model they're going to be using, uh, your vote will become influential. But that really does depend. So, you know, if you think about uh, the city of Durban, Itikwini, 
Should there be people who, within the ANC, happen to have been on the part of the faction which lost out and now did stand as independent candidates, they will really have a bone to pick. And I think the ANC is going to find it harder to simply get their vote, particularly on big issues, um, once they're sitting in council. I think what happened in Tswane was that it happened after the cut-off date and the closing date and the timetables of the IEC. So many of the disgruntled were not able to actually break away and register as independents. That process is closed already. But in northern KwaZulu-Natal, um, where councillors have already been killed but appear on the ballot paper because they were killed after the date, the cut-off dates, mm. this kind of issue is going to become <clears throat> an increasing feature. And so the big parties are going to have to work, particularly the ANC, is going to have to work extremely hard to get these people back in their fold or to try and get their leverage their vote back. Uh, of course, you know, people talk about the big splintering that has happened, uh, the EFF and COPE, which have, which have come out of the ANC. But I think few have been looking at the way in which the attrition rate at local level has happened at a much speedier rate with a lot more independents, and this time I think there's about a thousand independents. Uh, not to say that the independents don't stand of their own agency, but the bulk of them do happen to be former ANC people. And then, of course, you've got the AIC in the Eastern Cape, you've got uh, the Bushbuck Ridge Residents Association in Pumalanga. Uh, there's a range of these. Uh, I'm surprised none of these didn't emerge in Fuwani, but there's many of these which emerge out of demarcation disputes or other issues that happen inside the big party. So that attrition has been happening and has been most acute at local level. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. And thank you so much uh, for tuning in. And uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this morning's discussion will make you look at things differently before you actually cast your vote. That's if you haven't voted yesterday or are already uh, casting your vote right now. But uh, we're speaking to Ibrahim Fakir, Ranesh Doraj, as well as Dr. Ivor uh, Sarakinsky. And uh, now we're going to talk a bit about um, the predictions that have been made. And we've seen various polls. But firstly, why are these surveys... Are they important? Why should we pay any sort of attention to them, Dr. Iver? Well, they're interesting and they're fun. I think that's probably the most important reason to to give them uh, attention. If we think they're going to tell us uh, or predict outcomes or see into the future, then I think we're more likely than not to be disappointed. And um, the, the case in point, the most recent example of that is the Brexit poll which got that completely wrong. So it's an inexact science. Some would say that it's a pseudoscience. um, And it it raises interesting issues, discussion points in the build-up to the election. It increases enthusiasm. And in that sense, it it can't be harmful. Uh, But it, it, it doesn't necessarily allow us to understand better what's really going on. Does it have any sort of impact on the psyche of the electorate, though? Because if you look at, for example, Ipsos now saying the DA is winning in three major metros in Joburg, in Tswane, and Nelson Mandela Bay, what does that do to the psyche of a potential voter, Dr. Iver? Well, it, it, it has a number of, of, of ramifications. So all the parties are doing their own polling, and they don't often release that polling to the public. So they've got their own 
benchmarks and baselines and milestones. Uh, and they look at those other public polls and they see whether it conforms or contradicts what they already know. So, so in that sense, it doesn't really impact significantly on the party machine, but the parties can use those polls. So they can go to people and say, do you want to be governed by party X? <laughs> if not, vote for us, <laughs> because look what that poll mm-hmm. says. So instead of being a, uh, uh, an objective measuring instrument, they actually start to impact on the electoral process itself. And in that sense, I think they can be quite problematic because uh, one, one could imagine a situation where polls are released t- precisely to influence uh, uh, electoral uh, behavior, whether it's to get high turnouts or to try and influence voters to vote in a particular way. So there's a gray area between fun analysis, interesting predictions, and actual uh, influence, benign perhaps, and on the more extreme side, uh, uh, malicious uh, manipulation. And, uh, I mean, uh, some of the polls uh, reveal that voters are still largely undecided. And, and that's interesting, of course, Ibrahim Fakir. Um, but what do you make of that? What could be the reason behind uh, this indecisiveness that we are seeing with voters just before an election? I think one portion of those are always genuinely undecided. Another portion of those are trying to send a message to their parties. Uh, as I was saying, sometimes respondents have different motivations for why they respond a particular way uh, to an interview or to a surveyor. So that portion is, 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 I think, trying to send a particular message. A portion is genuinely undecided. Um, and then I think there's also a portion, and we shouldn't be dismissive of this, are people who play silly buggers um, and, and who, you know, just don't want to want to tell. Uh, and then I think there's a very small portion who, who, who genuinely don't know. They are genuinely de- deliberating. And that's not entirely a bad thing, because I think with the way in which the elections have become more competitive, more more parties, greater uncertainty, the NC is no longer guaranteed, as you know, previously one would have thought, gosh, uh, it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think it's really the case this time, uh, though I'm, I, so I would still maintain that the holding pattern is going to remain largely. It is, it is, it is a, it is a good sign in the sense that um, that that parties have to think about <clears throat> the way in which this disconnect between them and party and and voter identification with them uh, is changing. But the disincentive for those of us who get irritated by phone calls and SMSs and the campaign <laughs> reach out is that in the last few days, what the parties decide is they say, oh gosh, look, 15% undecided. Let's look at all the areas where we fall between 40% and 60% in target voters in those areas. So, so that's what happens, and that's how the polls are used. Uh, you know, you look for where the large undecideds are and you decide to reach out to them because they can make or break your fortunes in that municipality. But do you think it would matter 
at this late stage? Can you really tonight, today, before tomorrow's poll, really, uh, you know, woo me off this fence that I'm sitting on as to whether or not to vote or whether or not to vote for a particular party? Well, just Do you look think at, that, look at the you know, that sort of effect can still be had? Look at the turnaround that Ipsos made in the past 24 hours. Um, they were showing large <laughs> undecideds. Suddenly, all their decideds are decideds. And that's just a couple hours ago. So, yeah, yeah in a way you, it does. We also heard from Dr. Iva about Brexit and, yeah, you know. So, we ta- should we not be taking this with a pinch of salt, though? I think that's precisely his point, uh, that you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Some methods are better than others. Uh, some are going to be more accurate, sometimes coincidentally. But, look, they're an indicator of parties. Sometimes they, they're not a complete bellwether. Uh, some, as I'm saying, more accurate, some not. They create discussion points, but I think they do provide indicators to parties of the kind of things they need to do. So even if you sort of interpret them in curious ways, like saying, gosh, this is a way the you know our voters are, are teasing us a message that they want to punish us, well, then they obviously need to know what they do. On the other hand, it can make some complacent. Uh, in some cases, it makes parties sort of get greater stamina and take greater encouragement. So, you know, it can serve any purpose you want it to serve. In some ways, I agree with Iber that, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things people do. Sometimes they get it horribly wrong. And I think in a country like South Africa, one has to be very careful how you go about this, given the segmentation and the different demographics that exist. Uh, and also the, the rapid changes which are happening, and they are changing political attitudes. So, you know, thinking of framing questions on a survey in a particular way, because you've always done so, mm. might need to change, because they are, they, are, they are genuinely changing political identities and political attitudes uh, in the society now. Okay, let's look at Nomura and uh, the poll that they conducted. And they say that the ANC <coughs> will get 56.5% um, uh, of uh, the vote, uh, down from 62%. The DA will um, go up to 27% from 23.9%. EFF, 8.5%. They, of course, a new entry at this um, uh, level of um, election. And then the IFP, 1.5%, and the others um, will get 6.5%, per- uh, 6. all the others together, down from 10.5% previously. What's your take on that? Yeah, Sakina, my first point to make on this is that, uh, you know, like our two other guests are saying, take these polls with a pinch of salt. These guys from Nom- uh, from uh, Nomura are actually sitting in the UK and doing these surveys <laughs> because I get their emails as well. <laughs> I have seen these surveys. So, you know, the sampling, the methodology, you know, those kind of factors, who was interviewed, how they were interviewed, those kind of factors you need to consider before you actually take, you know, these, these polls, these surveys seriously because, after all, they are polls, they are surveys. Mm. And um, after what you guys have said, I'm going to take it with a big pinch of salt. But uh, let's hear from our listeners. Oh, wait, nine one. Horribly wrong in 2014. (laughs) Horribly, horribly wrong. But then, who got it right in 2014? Uh, um, CSIR. Uh, they were close, yeah, but they got EFF wrong. Yeah, just the EFF because they didn't have a yardstick to measure the EFF because they only came about in 2013. So, obviously, they didn't have, uh, you know, past election mm-hmm. results like we have with the ANC and the DA and the other parties, yeah. 
So you expect, but, but, but I was surprised at, at just how spot on they were, Ibrahim mm. and Dr. Ivor, the CSIR. Um, so clearly, whatever methodology uh, they are using um, seems to be working because it wasn't the first election that they were spot on. Well, <laughs> we could have interesting arguments about that. Are they getting it right despite their methodology? Um, in that it's, it's, it's a pretty good guess, uh, and they've guessed it right twice. And the problem with all these polls is everyone remembers when they get it right, and they're very sheepish about when they've got it wrong. And the real test is to falsify your predictions and to 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 set your 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 approach up in a very different way, not to prove yourself right all the time, but to try and identify why your approach might be weak. And they don't do that. They're not humble. They, their claims are remarkably bold. And I find that uh, quite problematic. <laughs> and they are. And I tell you, I wonder how you are feeling right now if you're one of those people who sits religiously waiting for the polls to come up. So uh, Pagamile says, so basically, election polls are pseudoscience. you better off consulting a sangoma then in that case. But let's hear from our listeners. Aubrey's calling us from Eitanaka. Good morning, Aubrey. Ah, we lost Aubrey there. Okay, we'll fix what's going on there and we will come back. But uh, just looking at uh, some of the messages coming through here, Zaki Matebula says, I will need the DA or EFF to win these big metros. Things will change in Gauteng and crime will go down. Um, we are tired of the ANC SK. And then a few others uh, here also. Um, this one from Babalo. The Babalo says, Could Ipsos polls uh, showing the DA leading in some metros end up discouraging or motivating ANC supporters? What do you think will happen there, uh, Ibrahim? Well, I, I like the polls. You're asking me to tell something I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Throw your bones, Ibrahim. Look, Come frankly, on. Frankly, it depends on how upset those voters uh, are going to be with the ANC, firstly. Secondly, of course, it can act as a motivator or a demotivator, either which, whichever way you want to look at it. But the truth of the matter is... You know, if we if we base it on something slightly more scientific, but it's not completely accurate, is is to look at trends emerging from past elections. And if you look at trends emerging from past elections, then the obvious thing, and this is not, you know, this, it didn't take any intelligence to, to, to conclude this, local government elections historically everywhere have a lower level of voter turnout just because people appear to have less interest. When you add issues like serious disgruntlement with public institutions, and we have plenty of that, manipulation of public institutions, sadly, the one you work for is a prime example of that, uh, then levels of public trust go down. You add to that internal fights in political parties, factionalization, fractionalization, resource fights, it demotivates your core supporters even further. So you combine those three, and there's obvious kind of ways in which this affects voter turnouts and your supporters from turning out. So yes, the polls can act as an incentive to say, oh, look how badly our party's doing. We need to go out and save them. As I was saying earlier, sometimes it tells the parties, it gives them an indication of what more they need to do. So yes, it can be interpreted in those ways, but you know, it's not foolproof. And I don't know, frankly, how people will behave and react to these numbers.
Master Chaba says a reminder uh, for her, for all the messages of harassment and arrogance of continuing calls, even after my complaints, is that I will go out as a reminder to punish the DA. Uh, Aubrey in Eitanaga, good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Yes, Sakina. Yes, Aubrey. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I'm also not lucky. I've never been surveyed like this company. <laughs> not even my family or my close, not even my close friends or my family. But anyway, I need your guests to educate me on this. Here in Nelson Mandela Bay, currently on the council we've got 120 seats. Uh, we've got plus minus 11 independent candidates. Uh, these candidates, some of them are saying, when it comes to the, the, the words, the, the people will vote them. And when it comes to the mayor, they will vote for ANC. Uh, uh, tell me now, if uh, 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 the opposition wins more, what? What's gonna? What's gonna? Uh, uh, what impact is gonna do on ANC if they win the mayoral candidate? Lastly, Sakina, are you aware of ballot papers that have been stolen in Kendisa, the eighty thousand? Ballot papers that have been stolen. Yeah, and yeah. Are you aware uh, of that? Yes, uh, but yes, I saw that. Um, but uh, we're still trying to get clarity on that particular story. Um, we fortunately are broadcasting from the IEC Result Center, so uh, the officials are available here. So as soon as we hear something, we will update you on that particular situation. But to answer your question, Ranesh? Yes, uh, Sakina, and, and thanks for that question, Aubrey. Uh, yes, the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro is uh, comprised of 120 seats, but remember those seats, 60 award seats and 60 are PR seats, which means basically the party is uh, choosing those candidates based on their candidates list. Um, a very good example of uh, you know people from a specific political party winning a particular award but not necessarily voting with their party was in Tlokwe Northwest. We saw uh, former ANC councillors, well they were ANC at the time, they sided with the opposition, the DA, uh, I think it was Freedom, Pla uh, Freedom Front Plus, COPE and uh, uh, a couple others, they sided just to oust the, 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 the ANC mayor and eventually the mayor was removed. Uh, those ANC councillors were taken to a DC, they were disciplined, some of them were uh, removed from the positions, by-elections, obviously very controversial by-elections were held. 2013, those by-elections still to be held uh, very soon. So yes, those councillors, whether the ANC, DA or any other party, they can win the ward, they can be PR councillors, but when it comes to voting within that council, yes, they can elect not to toe the party line. Mm. Uh, as you were talking about that, you know, um, it just reminded me of a uh, protest last week in Tamini in Soweto. And what I found strange there was um, the community were asking for the councillor to resign. Mm. And this is exactly a week before tomorrow's poll. And it, it just made me think, Ibrahim and uh, Dr. Iver, the fact that 
we know that we can go to a poll, you know, put our mark next to a name and um, have our voices heard in that way. But we don't seem to know what happens after that. And if we are disgruntled, what are the correct channels to follow uh, to show your disgruntlement after uh, your candidate, your uh, selected candidate is not following through on perhaps the promises that they've made? Um, What's your take on that and what can be done in order to improve uh, the electorate's understanding of uh, these processes after the vote? Well, I think one of the shortcomings of this particular election has been the lack of voter education uh, just around the electoral process, but also post the electoral process. Now, post the electoral process, there are several different ways in which we do so, and the way in which we've seen historically South Africans doing it on the streets is not the only way. Though we shouldn't be too dismissive of that because, you know, it's an essential feature of democracy, direct action, and and protest is is a is a right um of course depending how you do it but there are several mechanisms available first and most obvious is your ward councillor the person who you elected in your ward to represent you that is meant to be and this is the essence of local government your your representative interface uh, at local level then of course there's also the pr councillors but they appear much more beholden to their parties not to say that ward councillors aren't always uh, mm. But the ward councillor and the PR councillor are your first ports of call. Then the party's constituency officers and the party's officers. Then the actual municipal officers and the municipal council officers and the public servants who work in the municipality, that is, the officials. Then there are ward committees. Now, we know ward committees are problematic. They replicate the kind of local political fractures. They are dominated by local political elites. Local political strong men and women mm. start to dominate on them. So, you know, people make a lot of about the ward committees, but I think they simply replicate the local fractures, but they are an avenue. Then there are the IDP processes, and then in terms of the law, the municipal, both the Structures and the Systems Act prescribes a minimum number of times in which a councillor has to have report backs in their constituency, in their ward. So there, there's just five of those mechanisms. Uh, and council officers always ought to be open. There are all kinds of acts things like the Promotion of Access to Information Act, through which if you're not getting the kind of information you require and you want, then you can use those acts. But of course, that's uh, that, that has certain barriers to entry. So there, there are extensive mechanisms for this. And lastly, <laughs> as we go into this election tomorrow, your vote is your, is, your, is your power of recall if you don't really don't like what the people have been doing. Then you vote them out of office. That's essentially what one would think one does in a democracy. Let's hear from Alex Bashilo calling from Pretoria. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Sakin, and good morning to your panel. I must say that the, the victory of the ANC in Johannesburg and elsewhere will be a blow to Ipsos because uh, their surveys have consistently pushed for a DA win. And uh, to the extent that actually many people start to believe that Ipsos is uh, pushing a campaign for the DA by seeking to influence the mind of the voter. If uh, proof for this is found in the SACP in Gauteng province, how did they respond to Ipsos surveys? They actually organized and intensified their campaign in front and also uh, staged a protest to ETV. That's one way in which 
the surveys can influence people. So you cannot do a survey thinking that you will influence them this way. In one way, they can strengthen their work and move forward. And then lastly, I must say that I had many opposition parties saying, give us a chance. If we don't perform after five years, remove us. And uh, one of your panelists has just said now that uh, a vote can also serve as a recall. I think going forward as part of developing our democracy, we must not wait for five years in order to express our views that a particular councillor must be recalled. The systems must be amended to provide for the right of recall by the electorate if they are disappointed in a councillor. We do not have to wait for five years. That will be a democratic expression. Mm. So, so, so how do those systems then, uh, what needs to change in order to effect that? If you have the power to vote for a councillor, you must also have the power to remove that councillor. You see, in the National Assembly, the, 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 there are provisions that are to be followed if you want to remove the president. That power rests with the National Assembly. So the same power has to apply when it comes to councillors, but it must rest with people's power. The ANC's mobilizing theme for these uh, elections is to build people's power through local government. So what we need is to make provisions for the exercise of people's power to hold councillors accountable and to amend the, the Municipal Systems and Structures Act to provide for the people to recall a councillor through the ballot at any time when they believe that this is the way forward. Well, thank you. So, and, and by the way, before I let you go, uh, SACP, did you not uh, conduct any polls, no surveys, nothing? Quite a lot of work, and this, that work uh, has guided us where to campaign, what to do, where to go, and uh, where to strengthen our work. Also, tell us, share with us a little more extensively, what did your <laughs> poll show you? No, those are party internal polls. They guide our our campaign. You would have read where we have been going throughout the country. We were guided by the various assessments and polls ah. we were conducting. <laughs> so you arrived at the same conclusion as Ipsos and Tswane? Not necessarily. In Tswane, we were opposing <laughs> Ipsos' uh, <laughs> uh, uh, conclusion because Ipsos was campaigning. And if you watched at uh, ETV, it was playing those Ipsos, uh, you know, surveys uh, frequently, in fact, all the time, to the extent that we were worried that this is no longer a report on Ipsos survey. It was now a campaign. So what we did, instead of going to the television screen, we went into the streets on the ground in Swani, door to door, talking to the people, in fact, uh, engaging with them on Ipsos surveys, as well as on the work done by the ANC in uh, 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 bringing about service delivery in that city. Actually, Swani is one of the best performing metros as we speak, and people will express this on the pilot, because uh, even the issues of okay. internal of fatalism and so forth, I'm going to have to let you go. So clearly, uh, whether you agree or disagree, uh, Dr. Sarakinsky, um, you obviously are taking note of those uh, surveys. Yes, and I think uh, that uh, the previous caller's response was a very innovative one. Use the poll to mobilize and campaign and, and, and build support. And, 
and and that's absolutely the right way to do it in a democratic society. Uh, so well done to them. That was quite a nice bit of politics. Well, what we will do uh, tomorrow, of course, uh, and uh, uh, for the rest of the week more than tomorrow, is to look at those predictions and to see uh, who got it right, who got it wrong, and uh, who, of course, uh, will be trumpeting uh, their own processes and methodology here. But uh, thanks to our guests this morning, Ranesh Dauraj, Ibrahim Fakir, and Dr. Ivar Sarakinsky, and uh, to our listeners, of course, and all the other contributors. Tomorrow, uh, South Africa goes to the polls on mass and uh, we'll talk to you more about that and also uh, bring you more about other people's thinking around uh, what is going on at the moment